Expanded Universe, Season 3, Episode 14, Eat Lamprey Love, with your hosts, Jeff and John. The book, Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina, as edited by Kevin J. Anderson. The year, 1995. Let's go. The myth in the band looked like if a testicle had a butthole on it. Don't fucking try and explain a skater boy to me, Okay. The young kids don't care for your jizz. They just want to hang around in their rooms and you're goth. Oh, ball sacks, he says. Welcome back to Expounded Universe, the Star Wars Expanded Universe novel discussion podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, joined, as always, by your other host, John. John, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm just uh, I'm playing some Disney battle on my phone. Are you not ready to start yet? I'm Are you just not even paying attention to what you're doing? This is a real problem because that was the best intro I've ever done or will ever do. Oh, yeah. Well, we should probably retake it then. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb son of a bitch. You fuck. How dare you? <laughs> so how is your Disney battle on your cell phone coming oh, along? Oh, it's, it's great. I just uh, turned Mr. Incredible purple. Ooh. Like actually purple or just like quality purple? Quality purple boring yeah. I, don't, I don't understand the game so i mean i, well, I assume i do it's your standard wow level of progression so you go white green blue purple oh is there an orange no there is no legendary status yet uh, okay. you can up their stars though well well up my stars i'm excited well, about up this. my stars and garters <laughs> uh okay so this is going to be the last chapter of, of expounded universe I'm no, we're, sorry. we're done we just wanted to thank everyone for listening yeah, you know, we may have done this joke the last two times we finished a book, but this time we're serious. <laughs> For sure, this is going to actually be the end, and we haven't definitely ordered the next chapter or next book already. Yeah, just one chapter, though. <laughs> We've ordered the next book one chapter at a time. Yeah, we're just having them rip it out of the book and mail it to us. I might as well. That way we've got more things to give away. Yeah! But yeah, that it's true though. The uh, the tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina is coming to an end. This is the final chapter of the book. Then we have one week of, uh, you know, sort of catch up discussion, sort of round tie everything together. There you go. Try to tie all of these disparate elements of various predator species together. Yeah, try and really go through and be like, all right, what happened with what? When can we establish a timeline? How badly did Kevin J. Anderson fuck all of this up for us? It's kind of funny how Kevin J. Anderson, the editor of the book, his chapter screws up the timeline for like four of the other chapters. Yeah. I'm like, come on, bro. <laughs> be a dude. <laughs> it's weird how that works. But anyway, today's chapter is The Wolfman's Tale. The st- ah, ooh. <laughs> The story of Lax Sivrak. And his hair was perfect. His hair was kind of a 1977 T.J. Hooker thing. Perfect. It is almost perfect. It very much looks like he got a perm before they put on that werewolf mask, and then also after. (laughs) I'd like to meet his tailor. (laughs) His tailor is he's wearing a spare Jedi robe. (laughs) He's he's dressed like Obi-Wan. I mean, this character is made out of trash from the back of the set. Oh, yeah. They just went through the back lot, and they're like, what do we got? What's left? Yeah, because we've already done the guy who's wearing a cheap devil mask. Oh, yeah. And now it's time to do the guy who's wearing a cheap werewolf mask. And also, Mayum, or Night Lily, as as she is known, was just a random Rick Baker horror mask they had lying around, too. Oh, 100%. The, all of the aliens in this Moss Eisley cantina were basically someone raided a spirit Halloween store for the dregs on, like, November 1st. Yeah, and then when they were really running low, they just used some spirit gum to add some lumps to the top of a guy's nose, and thus Soupman was born. Yeah, they're like, uh... Fuck, we don't got anything here. Just blap. Yeah. Luckily, Dr. Evazon just looks like that. That was, they found a guy. They just found a guy. Yeah. And then. Sometimes there's a guy. Yeah. I won't say a hero. (laughs) Sometimes they glue a bunch of shaved off beard hair around a model butt, and that turns into Ponda Baba's mask. Ah, a model butt. (laughs) Truly, this is the butt that all butts aspire to be. It's one sixth scale. But whose butt was it, John? Was whose? It... it turns out, little known fact, Marlon Brando's butt. Yeah, it was Mar. It, a lot of people think it's Mamie Van Doren's. There's, it was a... a lot of people think it's Marley Matlin. <laughs> Marley Matlin wasn't born when they filmed this. Well, I know that's why it's weird that a lot of people think that. <laughs> oh man! All right, so this is the tale of Lax Sivrak, who you would remember is the guy wearing the. 1977 werewolf mask bought off the rack from a Kmart in Tunisia. Yes. 
and as it turns out, instead of just being a dude wearing... Uh, how much would you have preferred this if it had turned out that he was actually just a guy in Star Wars who was wearing a werewolf mask? Oh, yeah. The whole story is like... <laughs> I'm in the cantina, and I can't let anyone know my true identity, so I'm wearing this wolf mask. <laughs> uh, I bought this thing at a Kroger's the day after Halloween for 94 cents. <laughs> Great deal. <laughs> and now I pretend to be a wolf man, and no one can call me on it, or else I say they're racist. That's why I go by my, my uh, secret identity name, Werewolf by Night. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. And also by day, because it was daytime when they did this. this werewolf scene. by Night and day. I'm... <laughs> I'm just, just a werewolf. Werewolf all the time. <laughs> My baby loves to werewolf all the time. Werewolf all the time. Werewolf all the time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Laxivrak, we open on him in a battle, a pitched battle in his his X-Wing, because it turns out that this fella is a dedicated member of the Rebel Alliance, and he's flying his X-Wing uh, in a battle against the second Death Star. Yeah, we uh, we open this chapter... Uh, at the end of chapter, or not chapter, well, yeah. I at guess. the end of chapter 13. At the end of chapter 6. We begin chapter 14, was, the tale of the wolfman. Yeah, I was going to say episode 6, not chapter 6. Yeah, that's right. We, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Yeah. We, we're in the big the space battle above the forest moon of Endor from Return of the Jedi. And he, they don't know that the shield is still up yet, so at the beginning of the chapter, he is diving towards some TIE fighters that are between him and... And the Death Star 2. Yeah. Uh, and he starts getting all the reports. Oh, shit. The shield's still up. Oh, everyone pull up, pull up. But it's too late for some people. But not for him because he gets all hunter instincty and dives headlong into these TIE fighters howling. He's so snarly. At, he's all snarly and wolfy. And he takes a brief me- uh, moment to mention what he is exactly. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's <laughs> me. I'm Lax Sivrak. You're probably wondering how I found myself in this situation. Record scratch. <laughs> Well, it all started three days ago <laughs> in my high school principal's office. <laughs> Sivrak, yeah. you're a good kid. If you applied yourself, you could go to Brown. Ah. How dare you try and do some power line music at the end of school? <laughs> that was terrible. You and your, your buddy, Lil Pete. And Polly Shore for some reason. Well, I don't know why Polly Shore is here. The three of you are on double secret probation. It's the end of the year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's why it's double secret. Now then, as the principal of the, a Goofy movie starring Lax Sivrak, let me ask you once again about science slumber parties. <laughs> what do you say? Interested? Nah, with I, me? I'm Wallace Shawn. Don't forget. Don't forget. I'm Wallace Shawn. <laughs> but no, okay, so Lax Sivrak is, is diving towards some TIE fighters, but he stops to go, I'm a Shistavenin wolf man. Uh, that's cool, right? Yeah, that's 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 my species. Uh, there's people are still trying to figure out if we're a genetic anomaly or if we were made this way by some sort of crazy scientist a long time ago. Yeah. The only thing I know is that my species is the ultimate hunter <laughs> because we haven't had enough of those in this book. Yeah, half of this book is just. Well, you see, I'm the best hunter because I have fill in the blank. <laughs> I've got a long, doofy snout that makes me a great hunter because I'm a Rodian. I'm I'm all snooty. And I'm a great hunter because I love jizz music so much. And I have two sets of teeth. <laughs> uh, all of the various things where it's like, why are you a great hunter? Oh, my eyes are cool. Okay, why are you a great hunter? Oh, I've got a great sense of smell. There are so many people in this book that have nothing to be proud of but their species. Oh, yeah. That's that's all it is. No one's ever like, I'm the best because I did whatever. They're always like, oh, well, my race is great because we all have fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, motherfucker, this ain't the League of Superheroes. You can't. The whole thing reminds me of that quote. I can't even remember the quote exactly, but it's like patriotism is the thing you're proud of when you have nothing else to be proud of. <laughs> but that's basically what all these people are. They're like, they're like I'm, a, I'm a Deveronian, and my species has a super short digestive tract and sharp teeth so we can eat humans. So we can eat and then poop real quick. All right, well, what, what have you specifically done, Labria? What have you done that's worthy of pride? What, 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 did you oh, go to well, college? I accidentally killed a whole bunch of people on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a real piece of shit, but my species is species. so rad. Great. Yeah. Me? Garbage. <laughs> Look, if you don't like Planet Deveron, you can get out. (laughs) 
But yeah, Laxivrax, just the latest in a long line of ultimate hunters. Uh, his werewolf people are super good at hunting, and they have powerful senses of smell and big bitey fangs. And oh yeah, they're they're your standard werewolf man. They're they're wolfy dudes. They're they're Wolfingtons. They got claws and teeth, and they're shaggy, and they got senses of smell. They're wolves. Mm-hmm. That's I mean. What else are you going to say about some Shistavannans? Yeah, there's really not much to say. So little that they don't make a good bonus content, so don't look forward to that. Oh, no, definitely not. I looked up the the race, and the fucking article for them is a paragraph, and it's basically what gets mentioned here. Yeah, right down to the point where it's like, no one is sure if this species was genetically modified to look like this or not. Oh, maybe they were made by genetic engineers. Who knows? You sure got, you got to see one for a while, but now he's not in Star Wars anymore. He was replaced by a guy named Qtall or Ketlo or something. Yeah. Ketwall, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what happened was he hit the floor. Next thing you know, he was replaced by Ket low, 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 low. <laughs> oh man, he was replaced by an alien mask that was so much better that they used it for two species in that bar at the same time. Yeah, just flip it. They flip it. <laughs> <laughs> drop it low and reverse it yeah they had a they had a, a person wearing just what was it missy elliott's garage door <laughs> it was uh missy elliott in her giant garbage bag outfit uh-huh <laughs> just wandering around in the background of star wars yeah that's what that was what was in the special edition but this is that's one of the best things about lax Rack is that this is the character who was pulled from star wars for looking too stupid yeah god you look through that cantina scene and that's what they decided needed to go? The dude in the wolf mask? I mean, the mask isn't even tucked in. When you look at the outfit, you're like, oh, does he have a lot of chest hair? Oh, no, that's literally just where the mask ends. Oh, oh, I get it. <laughs> so, anyway, the second stupidest looking character in the cantina was not removed. So, as it turns out, he's spending his time flying through space and thinking about fighting TIE fighters, but he's also thinking about her. Oh, he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for... Her. For her. And he thinks of her and her perfect pheromones and the smell and the dusty air of the Moss Eisley Cantina. And suddenly we are there. We are there in the Moss Eisley Cantina. <laughs> so the this guitar is... plays. <laughs> and he walks in and sees her. The dust settles from his footsteps. It was the biggest fucking wolfman I had ever seen. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... But it turns out that this is going to be a time jump uh, chapter. Yeah, it's, I mean, when you're first reading it, it feels like the first time this could be essentially Sivrak just losing his shit. Because when he starts having these weird flashes, mm -hmm. he's either like diving or losing control of his ship. So he could like, just be dying, for example. Like oh, This could be like the, the last visions of a dying man. Yeah, I mean, it could be he's blacking out while he's like pulling a shitload of Gs oh, or yeah. something. Too many Gs. He's the ultimate hunter, but he can't pull that many Gs. Oh, yeah. There's a whole other species that's proud of how many Gs they can pull. Yeah, it's called the Drays. <laughs> they can pull a ton of Gs, but they ain't got no motherfucking endo to smoke. Oh, for yeah. that, you're going to need to talk to the Snoops. <laughs> Look. I found all, all of these Warrens, and they are full of G's. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I hope that they are on their regulator-class starships that they, they, are, they have managed to hide all their G's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's protected by Nate dogs. <laughs> oh, that song is actually quite disturbing when you stop and listen to the lyrics of it. <laughs> Regulators? Yeah. It's like they... they they're, they shoot some dudes, and they're like, you know, that was fun. Let's go fuck some prostitutes and then, like, not pay them. Well, no. The whole thing was uh, Nate Dogg and Warren G are both separately looking for bitches. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Warren G ends up getting, like, a craps game going, and then he gets jacked for all of his stuff. Mm -hmm. Nate Dogg shows up and is like, hey, don't steal from my boy, and then kills them. And he's like, huh. All right, well, murder really worked up a sex appetite. I saw some bitches a while ago. You want to go pick them up again? Yeah, yeah. They, let's go do a sex visit together, you and me. Let's let's you and I do a sex house call. <laughs> it's time for sex visits with Nate Dog and Warren G. That's what if the song was called that. I'd be sex way visits with Nate Dog and Warren G. I would one million percent own that. <laughs> that would be. I just want that as a T-shirt now. <laughs> Uh, picture of the album and then it just says sex <laughs> number one single sex visits with Nate Dogg and Warren G <laughs> anyway uh, he jumps in his mind jumps into the cantina and 
it's they, they the book is doing its best to basically convey that this isn't exactly a dream sequence that he's kind of aware of his location and aware that he's been here before but he's he's got this weird thing where he's like I don't know, like, this is the first time for me, but also I can remember it. Mm -hmm. And he is sitting across from her, the sexiest thing he's ever laid eyes upon. (laughs) Some (laughs) kind of tube with some Doritos on it. (laughs) A dryer hose rolled in green paint and black chunks. (laughs) Oh my god, this thing is, it's basically a sock puppet that someone has decided to put little foam bits on. It looks ridiculous. So this is Dice Ibagon. I I'm still not sure how you should say her name because it's Dice. spelled Dice, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, you could do Dice, yeah, you could do Dice like niece, mm-hmm. or you could do Dice. <laughs> Dice Ibagon. Dice Ibagon. That's probably her name. Dice Ibagon. Oh yeah. Well, I've I've watched too much of that. The second season of Luke Cage. I got way too much Jamaican patois in my head right now. Oh my now. god, that is so good, though. I love that they don't really explain any of it. No, at no point is, does like anyone in the series go, hey, what does whatever mean? They're just like, no, this is just what's happening. I mean, lo- they do, you can tell as you're, as you're watching it that they kind of stick to saying things over and over again until you figure it out. Like, pick me, for example, which means kid. Yeah. Like, they say that about a million times. Just so that they can drive home. This is children we're talking about. <laughs> just so you know. The thing they never explain is whatever clot means, Ross clot and Bumbo clot and all that. I, I'm really curious about those. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that's uh, it's interesting to try and pull apart. It is a fascinating season that I have seen all of now and you have not, so we can't keep talking about it. Yeah. Nope, so we're done. And we, you know, we don't want to spoil anything for anyone else. No, we sure don't. No, it turns out Doctor Strange is in it, though. <laughs> it turns out the whole back half of the season just gets taken over by Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's a, it's a backdoor pilot for Doctor Strange. It's called, the, the, the back half is called Doctor Strange. Backdoor pilot. <laughs> Danger at two and a half feet. Uh, wow, that's a really good porn. <laughs> All right, so... So he dives in back into the cantina, and he's sitting across from Dice Ibagon, uh, or DJ Ibagon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And uh, he's like, a golden droid will enter soon. And she's like, yeah, I know. You know. We both know. But you don't know. Yeah. And then he will be asked to leave. And mm-hmm. he will leave. And then he will leave. And and then the boy who came in with him will get in a fight with a, with a pirate. Because <laughs> for some reason, this chapter thinks that, that Ponda Baba's a pirate. Uh, we, we haven't seen much mention of that before. Well, you know, I guess. Yar, I be a piratical walrus. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of my species don't quite have the same fingers as I do. (laughs) I'd be needing me arm chopped off for a place to put me hook. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, thank you, governor. As a member of a species that has four eyes, I'm looking for three eye patches, please. If you could. And a space parrot. Yar. Yar. <laughs> no, so, but sure enough, all the things that he's like, a golden droid will enter. And then, you know, C-3PO bumbles in, and then we'll be asked to leave. We don't serve droids in here. And then the little, the, the boy who was with him will tell him to go. Oh, why don't you wait outside, 3PO, and he will leave. Yeah, so, it's... I'm going to say this. The chapter is probably one of the best written ones of this book. It's very good at having that sort of dreamlike quality when he's in the places that aren't his Mm X-Wing. So him being like, I'm confused as to, like, mentally I think this is the first time that I've been in the cantina and I'm doing everything for the first time. It certainly feels like the first time. But I also have a lot of deja vu and think that I've done this before. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he has double vision. <laughs> <laughs> Who set this thing to head games? <laughs> because those are Loverboy songs, and Loverboy has always sucked. <laughs> <laughs> You're a dirty white boy. <laughs> so, so okay. Uh, it turns out that Ibagon basically is a big believer in the Force. There's a chance that she might even be Force-sensitive, and I'm still having a hard time talking about her because, again, she is a sock puppet with an elbow sticking out of one side that's been rolled in crackly green paint. It's so (laughs) different from what you read in this chapter versus what is actually on screen. Yeah, if you haven't taken a moment to go back and look at Lax Sivrak and Dice Ibagon, do yourself a fun little internet tourism stint and, and Google them up. 
Yeah, it's just the two worst costumes possible. But the way that the author describes her is like, oh, she's a powerfully muscled, sinewed, snake lamproid thing, and she's got row upon row of teeth in her mouth for shredding meat, and her orbs on top of her head for sensing all manner of light that couldn't be seen by anyone else. And a mighty stinger at the end of her tail, barbed with a poison that would kill any man. And you look at it and you're like, oh no, this is... This is just a little weird floppity sock muppet that they've got this laying is around. Upside down dirty elephant trunk. It's it's real bad. And especially because you'd think about a lamprey. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a lamproid in the way they describe it with the rows and rows of teeth in there. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Sl- the cylindrical all the way around sandworm type teeth. Yeah. You think about a lamprey and you're like, oh, dude, that's great. And the whole idea of, oh, when she smiles because, you know, she's a weird like oh, worm it's a, monster her it's teeth just, just move yeah. yeah she moves her teeth and i'm like that is gross and rad no i love the, the the writing of this chapter like reinvigorates these two unbelievably dumb looking characters like the author was super game oh yeah and, and i appreciate 100 up for it but when you look at the thing that they used for her in the movie it just has four little hooks on the like front of the mouth of this thing and there is nothing inside of it it's just a red painted not even a hole there's just like a, like a sock puppet. It's just oh, the inside of this is painted red. Yeah, it looks like Robbie the robot's grabber holding a grapefruit. <laughs> it is it is not well done. <laughs> yeah, no. It's 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 an ugly ugly. Th- if you look at it head on, which you there's a couple of head on shots of it that you can find. Uh, one side has an eyebrow ridge for one of its eye orb things, and the other side doesn't because it didn't matter. The thing was only shot from one one angle for a split second in the actual film. Oh yeah, you're only gonna see this for. You know, like you say, a split second, and it doesn't really matter. But the author took this this lumpy, elbowed arm, which kind of looks like what Ron Jeremy's dick looks like now, <laughs> and, and was like, was like, yeah, okay, I can write about this. It, she was a sexy snake slug, and I loved her so because of her hot, boneless exterior. And uh, honestly, uh, I'm gonna say this: this is my thing. I like about this chapter. Laxivrax in love with this giant worm, and they never stop to explain that his species is normally in love with giant worms, gr- with giant gross poisonous worms. It's just he just respects her for her raw power and is super into that. That is his game. Yeah, I mean, he walks into the cantina and is like, "Oh shit, is that pheromones I smell? Mm-hmm. Nice." Yeah, he's like, "Oh my god, something sexy and powerful is in here. It's either a giant worm or Madeline Albright, and either way, <laughs> I am rock hard." Uh, it's both. <laughs> I'm Madeline Wormbright, a Florn Lamproid. Ah, ah, Wormbright. What is that, like that glow worm from the 80s, huh? In the 90s? Something? Only huh? 90s kids will understand. A- 80s reference? Glow worm? Huh? Yeah, glow worm? Huh? Teddy Ruxpin. Re- anybody remember glow worms? <laughs> Baby tumble surprise. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, that that ba- easy bake oven you could buy, but you used it to cook mo- monsters instead. I think it was called Creepy Crawlers. Man, I I don't know why when you were like, oh, that easy bake oven you would buy, but you used it to make. And in my head, I was like, meth, meth. <laughs> you use it to make meth. There's nothing that cooks meth up quite so good as a 60 watt light bulb in a little plastic container. You're goddamn right. <laughs> That's what made Walter White so important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's drive out to the desert, set up an RV, and put out 50, no, 60 easy bake ovens. <laughs> We've got to get this crystal out. And by God, I need so many easy bake ovens. I need 60 easy bake ovens and a big basket full of those muscle guys. <laughs> What are those for? Nothing. I just like them. I fucking love them so goddamn much. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, uh, Dice Ibagon is a Florin Lamproid. Uh, she is... Uh, there's an action figure of her that exists now. It didn't exist when the book was written. So, when the book was written, the guy had no idea what she looked like below the sock puppet. So, he was just like, she's a big snake. Like, there's no arms and legs on oh, this no, thing. Oh, no, he does. Oh, does he describe her as having... Yeah, like, he, he gives the, the six little grabbers. All right, so so then I missed that, and she and he does indeed have grabbers. She ends up... The, the action figure looks exactly like a low-level monster from the M, the Star Wars MMO. It's true. Like, the, the, I think they're called Clore Slugs. It looks exactly like one of those. Yeah, the... I mean, the Lamproid whole thing is supposed to be like, oh, they're from a planet where... Oh, it's so dangerous. Is murder. Yeah. 
Like, if you go onto that planet, the, something will kill you. It says if you don't have hyper-accelerated senses the moment you touch down on that planet, you are immediately murdered. And I think, I, I, they don't give us the name of it, but I'm pretty sure it's just Australia. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, it turns out that she's from this deadly planet, and she is the galaxy's ultimate killer. Because of her mighty stinger and her deadly four-tooth ugly grapefruit bite. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, she apparently has the like strength of, say, a constrictor mm-hmm. to be like, oh, she can wrap her body around you and just crush your shit. Or she can sting you with her stinger and poison you to death. Or, or shred you with her mighty jaws. Yeah, she can do all sorts of nonsense to just murder the fuck out of you. Mm-hmm. And she has... You know, that standard predator hyper-awareness of everything around her. Yeah. Uh, also, she's Force-sensitive, as it turns out. That's why this chapter is so shena- or the whole chapter is so shenanigan-y. Uh, we also, before he sits down and talks to her, he stops by Woo Her and orders his favorite drink, a big mug of organs. <laughs> it's some kind of organs in liquid. Mm-hmm. Just a big bowl of gach, basically. Yeah, just, ooh, these organs are still wriggling. That's how I know it's fresh. <laughs> more organs means more human, he says, as he orders it. <laughs> I want my drink with a squiddly spooch. <laughs> my drink has a squiddly spooch. <laughs> uh... Dice, you've got head pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that... that uh, so he sits down with his big mug full of still wriggling organs and also some some muddled strawberry, and she is drinking clarified bantha blood. Ooh, it's been clarified. It's been it's clarified that it's bantha, and not crate dragon blood. <laughs> you can tell because the blood does not sting, neither does it quail. Well, <laughs> so uh, the two of them are sitting down and having this deeply mystical conversation where she's like, "It is as it shall be, and as it always has been, and as it shall be again." Yes, indeed, I. I know that you only mentioned your love of the rebellion because you wish to get within my coils. Mm-hmm. And I'm he's like, like, "Oh, nice." Yeah, I love. I, I, I already said this, but I love that their their love is treated with such respect. Oh yeah, the it's, fact it's not like, oh man, it's super weird that some wolf and a fucking lamprey are totally into each other. They're like, oh no, the chapter spends the whole time like they are just. Fully hot for each other 100%, and it's great. Yeah. This is straight up a slash fic chapter, and it's awesome. So, so okay. Uh, but Dice Ibagon is like, well, okay, but indeed, you only wanted to get inside my coils to join the rebellion. You never were a true believer. You were there for me. And he's like, I would be anywhere for you. And then he is back in the X-Wing. Yeah. And he jumps right back to the X-Wing, and, and he's still being pursued by all three TIE Fighters, but thankfully he's managed to vaporize one of them by doing a head-on dash against them. Yeah, he, he did a, like, basically playing chicken drive mm. towards them and managed to kill one of them. Yes, while howling dr- uh, traumatically at the moon. There's, there's a point where he bays at the moon in this chapter. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of them got him as well, and they've destroyed his etheric rudder so he can no longer steer in space. Yeah, and he's just sort of... Spinning and spinning, going towards Endor. Yeah, he's heading towards the forest moon of Endor, where he will certainly crash down and die. But he thinks, this is a great chance for me to get out of this stupid war once and for all, because as soon as I'm in atmosphere, my atmospheric controls work fine. Yeah, then I can actually use those and just park somewhere. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing more aerodynamic than an X-Wing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. so he thinks, all right, this is perfect. Everyone thinks I'm dead because this ship is spinning wildly, and I'll just head on down to the, the forest moon of Endor, and I'll just live out the rest of my life there, a hunter in a woods full of little fur meats. Yeah, you know, finally I'll be able to go back to my roots, which is just running naked through the forest, eating whatever I want. Oodle-lolly, oodle-lolly, golly, what a day. Laxy Frack and I begone running through a forest, eating lots of Ewoks. Uh, So, yeah, he is doing that, but he is still being pursued by two TIE fighters. They're mad because he killed their friend. Oh, what a jerk he is. And as he spirals down towards the planet, he blacks out once again. And this time, when he comes to, he is in the snow of Hoth. Yes. Turns out Lax Sivrak has been part of, like, every movie. Mm-hmm. He's just part of everything. He's just very slightly off screen in every movie because he joined the Rebellion and he's been to all the same places. Yeah. So uh, he's been hanging out. He was on the, the, the ice be- uh, planet Hoth fighting in the trenches right alongside all those other snowtrooper type dudes. 
who was charging towards a trench where Dice Ibagon was also fighting for the for the alliance. Yes. Uh, uh, they describe her as wearing like a, a hooded snow jacket, which has got to look hilarious. Yeah, they're like, oh, she's in some kind of, you know, environmental protection suit. And I'm like, but she's a weird snake worm? Well, like, I guess she probably... What does that look like? Oh, I can tell you exactly what that looks like, John. She's got a big fur hood on and she's a worm poking out. She looks like a sick dog's butt. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh, sick dog's butt. That's what she... Bro. <laughs> so, so anyway, Sifrak is charging his way across the battlefield trying to reach her, but he's too late because he knows. Deep inside, somehow, he knows that she does not live beyond this moment. Indeed. She dies right here, shot by the Empire as they invade the the uh, rebel base on Hoth. Here in the snow, her purple blood stains the white, pure snow. And it's super hot because she's a rad, sexy worm. Oh, God, I just want to get into those coils. Oh, man, I can't wait to touch on her gonopore. <laughs> ah. All right, so he finds her and she's dying in the snow and they have another meaningful conversation about the Force and how this has already happened and how this is definitely going to happen some more. Oh, yeah. And, you know, his we get to see what happened when he was at the fight of him having this final very touching moment mm-hmm. with his beloved weird snake Muppet. Mm-hmm. And, and she's like, you have to live without me and believe in the force. For me, it is my final request of you. And he's like, I, I, I will do that if you want. And she's like, you don't care. She's like, look, I'll believe in whatever you want me to believe because I love you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then she bleeds out into the snow, and he stands there and howls and mourns, and a rebel soldier passes by and tries to drag him to an evacuation like, come point. come on, dude, we got to get out of here. And he's like, I will straight rip your balls off, my dude. Yeah, he turns around, he's like, Rrr! yip, 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 yip. And the guy's like, oh, shit, it's one of those. Never mind. No, yeah. no, no, it's good. All right. <laughs> Just spritzes him on the nose. No, no, no. no. <laughs> by the way, your hair is perfect. <laughs> Uh, we jump once more. He's back at his TIE fighter, drinking a pina colada. <laughs> we jump once more to Trader Vicks. <laughs> There's an Imperial guy there, and he rips his lungs out, Jim. <laughs> so, Laxivrak ends up uh, disintegrating the body of Ibagon yeah. on Hoth, because he's like, I've heard that the Imperial people will, like, take rebel bodies and do experiments or clone them and do dumb shit for fun. So I'm going to make it so that they can't do anything. And he does one of those things that really expands the definition of a Star Wars blaster, which is he takes out a normal Imperial rebel blaster and sets it to maximum disintegration and immolation mode. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think blasters in Star Wars do that. I'm, I'm almost certain. Like, if you had a phaser and you set it to all the way, then sure. I mean, phasers in particular are really bad about that, where anytime a main character gets hit, it just hits them and they get they fall over. But tons of characters are hit by phasers and just disappear. Well, yeah, because it depends on the setting you have. it. if yeah. you're on, like, setting two, then you're just going to get stunned. But you also have people who get hit, like take a bullet to the chest and fall over dead versus the same gun in a different episode will hit someone and they'll just vanish. They're just like, I don't need to be in any further scenes. Whoop. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is yeah. you can set a phaser to whatever setting you want. I know. It's crazy the things you can set a phaser to. T- uh, tickle. Yeah. Set, spank. Set phasers to jumble. <laughs> yeah. You can mess up letters with phasers. Make things so hard to read. Oh, that really rustled my jimblies. <laughs> I've got my phaser set to rock polish. <laughs> rock polish? Yeah, it polishes rocks now. Yeah, it polishes the rock. <laughs> it polishes the rock, who was only in that one Voyager episode, but I'm sure he received a whole lot of rock polishing. Oh, yeah, they were like, finally, this fucking setting works. <laughs> uh, he is actually in, in one episode of Voyager. He plays the grand wrestler of Sun Planet that settles their problems with wrestling. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. He looks hilarious. Oh, it's great. I thought for a second that he was a Cardassian. <laughs> I thought for a second he was a Kardashian. <laughs> I thought for a second that he was 15 elephants. <laughs> Each one of them more muscly than the last. <laughs> 15 elephants from the top rope. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can Stone Cold survive this? <laughs> Stone Cold gets up. He He's 16 elephants. <laughs> Never in the whole history of the squared circle have 31 elephants gotten in such a fight. (laughs) Oh, that's the intro music for 17 elephants. 17 elephants coming down. (laughs) And the music is just 17 elephants coming down. (laughs) 17 elephants has a chair. (laughs) 
Uh, all right, so... Well, that was a good callback. Yeah, so they teleport back to the TIE fighter. He is now starting to fall... Or the X-Wing, excuse me. He is now starting to fall into the atmosphere. He has just enough control that he can spin and shoot the TIE fighters. Also, he does something I didn't know X-Wings could do as he's falling. He discharges everything the X-Wing carries. Hundreds of mines and chaffs and oh, yeah. various just junk bombs and so on that the, this X-Wing like, has oh, on it. They have anti-missile tech and mines and all sorts of nonsense that they can just crap out the back that's Why, great his phaser so far or his phaser blaster is so fucking rad i'm surprised he doesn't just roll down the window and shoot the tie fighters with that <laughs> i'll set this thing to tie fighter removal uh but anyway he dumps all of his crap and that all explodes into a big red fireball that he comes spinning out of one of the tie fighters dies in that yeah one of them i assume runs into some mines or something and blows up the other one is still chasing him but he manages to bullseye it while he's caught in a weird flat spin as he starts to enter the atmosphere yeah uh, and then he does, and he enters the atmosphere just in time to hear a radio transmission come through from Rebel Command. It's Lando, and he's saying the shields aren't down, and they, they need to be down. There's a shield supply warehouse on the surface that has yet to have been destroyed. Yeah, so he's like, well, I got two options here. I can either park my X-Wing somewhere, get out, live the rest of my life on this dumb forest moon. Mm-hmm. Hunting or- Dulocs and, and big giant monsters. and <laughs> Yeah, just running down a dream. Just ordinary horses and flash rabbits. Ordinary horses and orcs. That's what I eat. <laughs> Welcome to Ordinary Horses and Orcs. How can I help you? I have two ordinary horses and one orc, please. Hi, who had the two horses and an orc? Oh, I'm sorry. I ordered my orc flash fried, burned, let it swim, extra gravy. Ah, <laughs> oh, I see you've been here before. <laughs> and also, one of these ordinary horses is supposed to be animal style. Sir, they're both animal style. They're horses. Oh, very good. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so yeah, so he has the choice of either landing on this forest moon and being fine and no longer worrying about this rebellion and just living the rest of his days in peace, or he can try and charge that shield generator, and it's a million to one shot, Doc. And he takes the last chance power drive. Because he, he's the Bruce Springsteen of Wolfmen. Last Chance Power Drive? Yeah. Isn't that a Bruce Springsteen song? It sounds like it should be. I don't know. I mean, I don't know a lot of Bruce Springsteen songs, but that sounds like probably. And then she was lying on the hood of her car, and her evil uncle showed up and tried to kiss her. And it was the American dream. I don't know. Bruce Springsteen songs. What? Yeah. I'm just making up Bruce Springsteen songs now. That's a uh, that's quite the Bruce Springsteen song you have there. Thank you. So, okay, uh, he decides, of course, he's going to pull off this one-in-a-million shot to just fly his X-Wing right into the shield generator. And we, as readers, know that's not going to matter because the shield generator gets taken out by Han in just yeah, a few well, minutes. I, look, we know that no X-Wing shows up and shoots at the fucking shield generator, so... Uh... <laughs> and if that would work, why would they send a ground assault team anyway? Well, because all of the defenses around the shield generator would blow up any sort of ship that went in. That's why he says... It would be a million to one chance ah, that he true. would even make it. That's right, yes. And as he's flying towards the ship, we teleport once again. Or his mind, I suppose, wanders away from this place back to the cantina. Back again. He he again knows, ah, oh, there's going to be a gold droid. How do I still know all this? What's going on? I remember that music. The faint stirring strings. The melancholy of the sound of the cantina. da 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 Yeah. I mean, every time he's like, oh, yes. That music playing, and there's that Deveronian nodding his head, and you're like, I know that this is really going for a smoky Casablanca vibe here, but ooh, baby, <laughs> do you know what that's worth? <laughs> ooh, Mos Eisley is not a place on Earth. No. <laughs> so, but once again, he's having the conversation with I- Ibagon, and he's starting to kind of put together that he's trapped in some manner of time loop. He's like, oh, is this is this your force? Is that is what is happening? Your force? Your precious force. Is this is this a force thing? <laughs> She's like, no, it's 18 elephants. <laughs> 18 elephants come out of the cantina. <laughs> the gravitic pull of them is bringing you back through time. <laughs> so dense were these elephants. <laughs> each one of them a brown dwarf of elephant. <laughs> <laughs> and each one being ridden by a brown dwarf. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, <laughs> very wonderful. Uh, she's like saying, you can leave this at any time you want. In fact, she says, you can check out any time you like. 
Uh, unfortunately, Lax Sivrak can never leave. No, because he's too attracted to the warm smell of Colitas. Yeah, well, I mean, as the ultimate hunter, he'll stab that beast with his steely knives. <laughs> but he'll never kill her. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I do like that we get a difference between him and Ibogon in that he is an ultimate hunter, but she's an ultimate killer. Yes. So yeah. she's not exactly down to, like, hunt things and track prey, but if she finds someone she wants to kill, she will just murder that motherfucker. Yeah, she's not an ultimate killer the way that, like, a, a box jellyfish is an ultimate killer, where, like, if anything that comes near her, she can just kill. She pretty much is an ambush predator that's just waiting for shit to happen. If anyone gets near her, she's super quick and strong and poisonous and But she ain't venomous. going out into the woods for things. That's not how she does she ain't going to go find stuff. She just digs a hole and sits there till something good happens. Hey, same. Yeah. <laughs> Big mood. John's like the moray eel of pizza eating. Yeah, I just sit there and open and close my mouth slowly until someone gets a pizza near me. <laughs> <laughs> just whip out pizza <laughs> back into the hole. <laughs> yeah, well, my teeth are shaped in such a way that you can't get pizza out of me once I've bitten it. <laughs> Oh, man, people show up with pizza at John's house, and he just appears out of his room, snakes it into his teeth, and gets back to playing be- uh, Slay the Spire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's worth it to know he's okay. <laughs> Isn't he majestic? <laughs> Look at him. Beautiful. <laughs> he's gotten so huge since he was a little tiny Elver. <laughs> Look it up. That's what baby eels are called. That's great. I'm <laughs> glad that we could educate people on this, our dumbest show. <laughs> so basically, she says, this is your one chance to leave. Like, she literally says, at this point, you can get up and walk out of the room. What she's telling him is, this is a break in the time loop. If you want, you can stand up, walk out of this cantina, and you won't just die in the rebellion. Yeah, you can leave me, leave the rebellion, leave everything behind. And just go and mm-hmm. live your life separate from what you have seen here. Yes, but he's like, I don't, I don't wish to do that. I could never leave you. I, I can't leave you. You're, you're too important to me. You have pink champagne on ice. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> uh. Welcome to the cantina, Mos Eisley. <laughs> All right. So, but so he refuses that, and instead, when he watches the Aqualish pirate get into a battle with the. The, the old man who entered earlier with the silver, with the golden droid, and he loses his arm, and the blood scent calls to him. And he's like, ooh, yeah, fuck blood, that is so good. And it's just like the, the fact that just about everybody in the bar was there to kill Han Solo, but they couldn't because of, now this guy's about to fucking go nuts at the scent of blood and eat everybody in the bar. When uh, uh, Dice Ibogon stops him from going all blood ragey the only way she can, she snakes across the table and they start making out super hot. I don't know how that works i have a no idea how the physical relationship between these two work and it doesn't explain it and i'm fine with that i like you know neither of these things can open and close their mouth it's a werewolf mask and a a, a sock that's part dryer hose i think they just mash together like action figures yeah you just push them together and like now kiss Uh, (laughs) that's uh. and that's actually the noise they're making when it happens he's got his hand on her sexy boneless midsection like a like a super sensuous good smelling chicken cutlet (laughs) And, and then she gets super into it and snakes across the table and they start bonking together going like kiss hey kiss kiss Kiss. This is first base. Kiss. Uh, 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 mm. Mash, uh. mash, mash. <laughs> but she's doing that not because she's in love with him, although she is. She's doing it because it's the only state that erotic power is the only state he can be in where he won't just kill everyone in the bar. Yeah. So she thrusts all them pheromones at him, and he's like, "Ooh, you know what smells better than blood? Yo, shit. <laughs> that gonopore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, what that tail do?" <laughs> It's got a death stinger on it. Nice. Also, it does some more things. <laughs> what that mouth do? Oh, it shreds flesh. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so the two of them start making out all hot and heavy right there in the cantina. Some really sweet PDA for everyone who wanted to watch that happen. Oh, yeah. And you know that soup guy is just like, what's going on? Ew. <laughs> soup. Ew. Disappointing. Ew, soup. That's terrible soup. Oh, soup. Ew. Soup. <laughs> I'm going to stop by Soup Dudes on my way home and get some much better soup. <laughs> hey, Soup Dudes. <laughs> F- 
famous restaurant on Tatooine, Soup Dudes. Yeah, it's right between that uh, Pilo Cam's, the place that sells fried meat, and then oh no, Pilo Cam was the one who sold vegetable fritters. Yeah, and the and then the other the one guy was like, "Hey, what do you have? I've got organic juices and and fruits and veggies. I sell hot chocolate, an official part of Star Wars." <laughs> And then on the other side from him, you've got uh, Soup Dudes, and then right past that, a place that sells, like, fried meat d- dipped in maple syrup. Yeah, it's just, what is this? Oh, it's sugared beef chunks that we have <laughs> deep-fried. Welcome to the fair of Tatooine. We call ourselves sugared beef chunks. <laughs> Run by sugared beef chunks. We also have bacon. Also, bacon wrap for a dollar. And no one stopped by Soup Dudes. <laughs> All they have is soup. Soup. <laughs> hey, why does your menu just have soup in large capital letters? Soup. And how come the prices go behind, go through that tent door? <laughs> uh, oh, you've misunderstood. We drink your soup. Oh, we are the soup dudes. Welcome to Soup Dudes. We're not a restaurant. We're a soup depository. Please place all your soup in this basket. Soup depository. <laughs> I'd like to make a soup withdrawal. Soup seller, I'm going into battle, and I need your strongest soups. My soups would kill you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it! Oh, I think we probably got enough of that in for Tatooine. Oh, probably. Anyway, uh, he refuses the offer to to break the time loop. He chooses to die with her in glory and love, the ultimate hunter and the ultimate predator together, a, a, a wolf man and a, and a sex snake together as one. Yeah. So we get him snapping back to his X-wing one last time. Yeah. As he's like, "All right, I'm gonna punch in the coordinates. I'm gonna level myself out." And I'm going for that shield gen. And right as he gets there, he hears the call coming in over the radio. They've destroyed it. They've blown up the shield generator. Yeah, and and he he looks in the distance and sees smoke and fire, and he's like, oh, goddammit. And then he smacks into it. Well, (laughs) sort of. He might smack into it, but instead, right as he releases his hands on the controls and just howls in triumphant rage, he transfers consciousness again. And this time, he's awake. On the cool in the cool night air of the of the forest moon of Endor, and he's like, "Hey, wait a minute! I thought I went towards the fucking generator. I didn't land." And he's like, "I must have crash landed, and in, in my confusion, I must have forgotten when I escaped." Oh, but wait, there's DJ. Yeah, and Dice Ibagon is here too, and she comes toward him, but there's something different about her. Oh, DJ, you're so glowy and blue. She's blue and glowy. And the two of them go walking through the woods together for a little while. Like, just, oh, I can't, I can't understand what's going on. And she's like, "Well, look at yourself." Mm. Oh shit! It's a Twilight Zone episode. I'm also blue and glowing. <laughs> I'm Ava Braun. That's <laughs> <laughs> not fair. There was time now. Dice, you're wearing the bottom half of a pig mask. <laughs> Why would you do that? We already have Doctor Evazod. Why did I crash land? There was a gremlin on the wing of your X-wing. Also, it's 45 million B.C. <laughs> but, uh, okay, she she actually drops the Yoda line. She's like, because we are luminous beings, not that crude matter. Yeah, what up now? Nothing, not even death could stop true love. We will be together forever, the ultimate hunter and the ultimate killer. And then the end theme from Princess Bride starts playing. And <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Ew, they're doing mushy stuff, I, I, I think. <laughs> Is this a kissing chapter? <laughs> These two can't kiss, son. They, they, do, they do something much, much filthier. <laughs> they just graze teeth. <laughs> yeah, they just smack their teeth into each other. Donk. And then she deposits her milt in the air around him, and he fertilizes it by just jacking off by furiously burling. while spinning in a circle. I'm going to burl all your milt. <laughs> That's good, too. I like that. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> Oh, man. Then he lawns her chainies. <laughs> uh, good. All Great. right. So uh, so the two of them are walking through the woods, and she says, we have to find another clearing nearby. Three special friends are waiting for us. As they, they always like us. And they always have been. Which is an interesting thing to, to, to learn, that all Force ghosts are friends. I mean, at at this point in the writing, I was like, okay. What they're trying to get across is like, oh, the Force is, like, transcends time, and it is across all dimensions and all time, and you're everywhere and nowhere, and your consciousness is there, but you're also subsumed into a larger thing. And, like, I get it, but when they go, hey, we're going to go over to that Jawa, or the uh, Ewok Ewok village, 
and uh, we're going to go meet three dudes. Yeah, if we hurry, because this is still pre-special edition, we can see the old white dude who played Anakin before they replaced him digitally with Hayden Christensen. Come on, we got to go quick, because as soon as he turns into Hayden Christensen, I'm out. Yeah, especially because as soon as he turns into Hayden Christensen, you're going to turn into Q-Tall, or whatever his name is, <laughs> the short-legged blue elephant dude that replaced you in the New Hope special edition. And then she turns back and he's like, what do you mean? I've always been Q-Tall. I'm a cute old elephant, that's me. I like hugs. <laughs> My species is the world's ultimate huggers. <laughs> we have the best appendages for hugging. <laughs> She's like, no! <laughs> Damn you! Hayden <laughs> <Aiden> Christensen, <laughs> I blame you! And he's like, that's fine, everyone else does. <laughs> Pile it on. That's great. Just leave it in the pile. (laughs) So that's the big ending is that the two of them get to be Force Ghosts. And as they walk through the woods to meet their their three special Force Ghost friends, the music from the cantina rises up again and then fades and is never heard again. Our love is like a storybook story. That's really good Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Hey, that's, what was it, Mark Knopfler? (laughs) Oh, yeah, because I guess Mark Knopfler is kind of the hobo of singing. Oh, yeah, well, he's the one who did the uh, Princess Bride theme. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. I I was just thinking you were doing some Bruce Springsteen jokes from connecting it to earlier, but thank you for bringing it back. No, I'm doing the actual Princess Bride theme. Well, here, you do that, and I'll do the the, the actual thing. (laughs) Go, Go ahead. Go ahead. But it's his story. That's the actual ending. There you go. And that's what happens at the end. <laughs> and then we get a whole big chapter full of like information about each and every one of the authors. Yes. In case you were really curious about everyone's biography. In case you wanted a small paragraph about everyone who wrote in this. Yeah, and a big paragraph about Kevin J. Anderson. Yeah, a real big paragraph for a real big piece of shit. <laughs> Sean's only read one Kevin J. Anderson <laughs> chapter of anything ever, and he already knows the right of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get it. This guy gets it. <laughs> And that's it, folks. That's Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina. That's been the whole of it. It, I mean, I do like this as a last chapter. It's very good. Uh, this is you, a rad chapter. It's, a, like I said, probably one of the best written ones mm-hmm. in the book. It has a good through line of, like, from the cantina through the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has that good end to it. It ends... Pretty much where all of the various stories could be. I I like that. I mean, if you were going to pick a last chapter for this book, it should have been this or the Evazon one. Yeah, either one of the ones that moves well beyond the storyline of, of uh, the, the Cantina. Yeah, I mean, I would probably say the having Evaz- this and then Evazon be the last two would have been the way to do this, but eh, Well, given that Evazon's someone that anyone gives a shit about at all, because he has lines and stuff, and his costume isn't quite as atrocious as these two. Well, yeah, and also, we've I mean, like we mentioned in that chapter, we've spent this entire book getting the Ponda Baba Dr. Evazon show from everyone's perspective. Yeah, it would have been nice to end with Evazon telling his own version of that fight story and then telling uh, talking about how his life goes, goes on from there. The problem is the Evazon chapter, while fascinating, is a terrible chapter about Dr. Evazon in particular. Oh, it's it, a great story. It has story. nothing to do with the cantina. You're like, here's a chapter. Well, is this a tale from the Moss Eisley cantina? Good lord, no. Honestly, the last three chapters should have been Labria and then this guy and then Evazon. <laughs> so that we could do our, our devil and then our, our werewolf and then our uh, our Frankenstein. Yeah. Just, and, we should, and then we could have added the soup guy because he's kind of a thing too. I he's mean, kind of the vampire of the chapters. He's he's a vampire, and then I don't know what do we what do we got a mummy somewhere? <laughs> do, do we have a mummy? Hey, anybody got a mummy around here? <laughs> you got a you got a creature from the Black Lagoon we in got, there? Was was someone invisible? If there was anyone who was invisible, if there was I want to do invisible them. in here. <laughs> I need you to get on my jock. <laughs> Which one of them is the closest to the creature from the Black Lagoon? I think it's Ponda Baba. I mean, he is a gross walrus. Yeah, he's he's from a planet with some water, at least. Yeah, absolutely. So, there you go. Anyway, that was the end of this chapter. Uh, the tale of Sivrak and Ibagon. And, John, what did you think? You liked it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think this is very well written. It's very interesting, different from a lot of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- and it does something different, but also doesn't feel... 
like they were trying to cheap out of doing what the theme was. Yeah. Once again, I really appreciate that these two characters are only connected in the book because they were sitting across from each other in the cantina during their shot. Yeah. So, and the guy was like, whatever. I'm sure an eel and a wolf man can fall in love. That's what I'll write about. Yeah, I like the the way that the characters are written. The fact that you have something that's like, what is this? All right. One, the fucking Lamproid looks like a terrible little puppet. Mm-hmm. And two... Something's wrong with me. <laughs> nothing wrong with me. Three, <laughs> nothing wrong with me. Four, something's got to give. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. So there, <laughs> there's Ponda Baba, and he lets his arm hit the floor. And then the bodies hit the floor. And I let them. The bodies hit the floor? Yeah, I let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> now? Now. <laughs> Music. But two, <laughs> folks, folks, music. Two, not only was this a dumb-looking little Muppet thing, but mm-hmm. in the way he describes it, you go, okay, let's imagine this as being the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And it's still a weird, horrible monster. Yeah. It's just an actual frightening-looking monster rather than a dumb puppet. I mean, he even he doesn't skimp on describing this thing as gross, but through the eyes of someone who finds it the sexiest thing it's ever he's ever seen. Oh, yeah. He describes all of the bits of what you would imagine a nightmare lamprey monster would be. Yeah, there's a part where like a flash goes off in the cantina and her eyes retreat from it the way a snail's eyes retreat when you go when you reach near them. Yeah. It's so this sort of meltdown into her. Whoop. And you're just like, Bleh. But he's like, ooh, that's so fucking hot. Look at her eyes retreating. Oh, man. Yeah. That's. <laughs> ooh, she got a little salt on her and she's bubbling. <laughs> bubbling for me, baby. That is what I love about this is he takes a creature from this cantina that mm-hmm. you could have looked at and gone like, I'm going to go the same way so many other people did and been like, oh, she's just here to murder someone and she's. She's here to drink soup or whatever the fuck. She would have killed Han Solo if Greedo hadn't gotten away. Yeah, but instead, it was like, oh, or what's, fucked her, him. what's her whole thing? She's a dedicated part of the rebellion, like, mm-hmm. to start with. She she is super compassionate and loving towards Sivrak mm-hmm. and is, like, this gentle, sweet voice mm-hmm. that happens throughout this chapter. And the fact that this voice is coming out of this weird lamprey thing is great. It's awesome. This is a fun chapter. Uh, it's it's fun enough that I'm willing to overlook how weird it is to have time travel shenanigans happen in Star Wars. Well, again, I don't think it's time travel shenanigans. I think it's just this is him when he is dead having this I'm part of the force uh, and yeah. getting used to I am across all time. He's ping-ponging through his life yeah. looking at all the details and wishing he could have wolfed a little harder. <laughs> No regrets. <laughs> All right. Well, I also really like this. I think this was probably the best chapter in the book, and I, th- I think it was fun to make our way to it. Yeah. I mean, there are other chapters in the book that were good. Momon Adon's chapter, for example, was was super solid. Yeah. There, I mean, this Big wasn't... floppy Ithorian dick in the sand. <laughs> this wasn't a top-to-bottom garbage book. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a lot more crap than there was gold, but, you know, those nuggets were good. Yeah. So, folks, as always, we have to sign out here. Uh, If you just check in with us next week, we will be doing a recap episode where we'll talk about the whole book, kind of the book as a whole, uh, things that we liked, things we didn't like. We'll also be answering your questions about the book. If you've got questions about anything from the Moss Eisley Cantina, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to hear more about whatever happened to Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazon, here's a hint. Uh, Ponda Baba got his arm chopped off. or, or anything you want to know about any of the species, just remember we have all the answers at our disposal. That'll be next week. The other reason to listen to next week is because we'll announce the next book. Oh, yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. You'll get to find out what's coming up next. That's right, and it's going to be something very different. I think we're going to take a break from doing anthology series I think for we're going to take a ba- break from Star Wars. That's right. We're definitely going to be reviewing an Emerald Lagasse novel. <laughs> an Emerald Lagasse novel. Mm-hmm. It's called The Color of Her Bam. <laughs> Did you just take the color of her panties and replace it with bam? (laughs) I might have done. God damn it. What are you doing here? Oh, Emerald Lysanthe. I don't don't know who you're insulting more at this point. (laughs) The folks at home, John. It's always the folks at home. Those are who we insult the most. Once the mics go off... (laughs) 
<laughs> and before they go off. Yeah. Fuck you, listeners. Hey, listeners, you suck. <laughs> anyway, that's the recap episode, and then after that, we'll be right back into the next big book. Uh, as always, if you liked what you hear and you somehow want to hear more of this, we will be doing some bonus content. Yes, indeed. Stop by patreon.com slash systemmastery and support us at the $2 level or more to unlock all of the bonus content for Expounded Universe, where each week John and I will take a deep dive into Wikipedia and come back with fun stories for you. Yay, fun stories. And for each other, because we don't know what each other are going to do until we do it. That's yeah, not true. We that, know. We, we know. The it's con- a bit. The conceit is that we don't know, but we know. I mean, we don't actually know what we're going to tell each other, but we, we sort of know what we're going to do. We know what the topic is so that we don't do the same topic. Yeah. yeah. I, I, neither of us is going to show up and be like, well, I decided to do this. I also did that. Well, fuck us. <laughs> oh, no. We both are doing floor and lamproids. We'll just have to do it like simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, simultaneous lamproids. I don't know why we've become this. I'll tell you one person who's into simultaneous lamproids. It's Lax Sivrak. Vaudeville. Dream of his. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Until next week, I've been Elan Bagiano, and I loved Death Sticks right here in the Moss Eisley Cantina. Uh...